you'll be able to acquire your deepest dreams and become anything you want to be. Well, he realized partway through that speech that it was a crock. Because he knew that the kids that he was speaking to were far from able with the little resources they had to ever even come close to reaching their deepest dreams. So he went off script and he said something that day that he had not planned on saying at all. Here's what he said. He said, for any of you kids in here today who graduate high school and you want to go to college, I will help pay for that. Now, some of you might be familiar with a similar story called Scott's Tots that didn't go really well. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But this is a legit deal. And the principal actually pulled him aside and said to him, you can't go saying things like that to these kids. Because 75% of these kids won't even graduate high school. But that picture right there was taken with some of the kids that he made that promise to in their elementary years. And there they are. And not only did they graduate high school, but 75% of their classmates graduated as well. And not only that, but 50% of the kids in that class to who he made that promise went on to college as well. And the point is this. The moral of the story is this. Hope is a powerful, powerful thing. Amen? And that's why we love redemption stories. Because here's what redemption stories remind us of. They remind us that our future does not have to be chained to our past. And that's particularly what we love about our favorite Christmas stories. Our best redemptive Christmas stories, which includes the best redemptive Christmas story of all, Die Hard, right? Now, I just said that to see how many of you men were here, were paying attention. That's not where we're going today. We're not talking about Die Hard. We're talking about A Christmas Carol, written by Charles Dickens. And I shared with you two weeks ago that Dickens had one motivation for writing A Christmas Carol. It wasn't so he could become more popular as an author. It wasn't because he needed more uh, income generated. But he did so out of a moral obligation to expose the poor who were being marginalized in England. To expose the abhorrent child labor practices going on in his country. And that book, that tale, was not a tale of rebuke. It was a tale of redemption. And the whole point of it was to say to the people of England, we can do better. Let's not settle for the way things are. Let's strive for a better future in our country. So he wrote this tale of redemption. And the main character of the story who needed redeemed the most was a man who was named Ebenezer Scrooge. And remember we talked about Scrooge, how he was a miserly money lender. And he was unloving. And he lived an isolated life. And he was uncaring. And most importantly... What did Scrooge hate? Christmas. Because Christmas just interfered with business. And we saw from two weeks ago and with Ryan last week how the ghost of Christmas past and the ghost of Christmas present, they, they visited Scrooge and they opened up Scrooge's eyes to the reality 
that maybe his greatest life's business, that of charity, that of helping those who were destitute and need, was obscured by his constant pursuit of wealth. But nothing is going to shake Scrooge to the core more than the final visit from the coast of Christmas future. And even though in the book, the ghost of Christmas future uses absolutely no words, he speaks the most powerful message of all to Ebenezer Scrooge. The first place the ghost is going to take Scrooge is to a group of businessmen who have assembled. And they're all talking about someone that they collectively know who has died. And they're asking one another, are you going to go to the funeral? Are you going to go to the funeral? And to a person, they say, no, I don't think I'm going to go. No, who would want to go to his funeral? I might go if there's a lunch provided, maybe. And Scrooge thinks to himself, how calloused of these men to say this? Who is this person who died who people have so little love and regard for? And the ghost of Christmas future is going to show him. He takes Scrooge to the graveyard points to a grave marker, Scrooge crawls over there, he swipes off the snow, and he sees his own name etched into the headstone, Ebenezer Scrooge. And right then and there, it's like where all the pieces of the puzzle came together, and his mind was flooded with these thoughts. I'm going to die wealthy, but I'm going to die unmourned. I'm going to die rich, but I am going to die unloved. So he asks a very critical question. A question that I think every human being would ask if they could peek into their future. Here's the question he asks. Are these shadows of things to come that will be or Maybe. Are these shadows, is this picture of the future that you're showing me, are these the things that will be or just maybe? Scrooge is asking what every human being asks at some point in their life, and that is this question. Can I change the trajectory of my life? And Scrooge asks a question that is very good to any story. Here's the question. Can the future be fixed or is it fixed? I'm reminded of a story that a lady submitted to Reader's Digest dealing with the future. It says here, my 20th high school class reunion was held at a hotel on the same night that another school's 10th year reunion was taking place. While my friends and I were in the restroom talking, some unfamiliar women entered. After their stares became uncomfortable, we turned toward them as if to say, do you need something? One of the women said, don't mind us, we just wanted to see how we're going to look 10 years in the future. Now, the most important thing is not how you are going to look in the future. The most important thing is how is the future going to look for you? 
And Scrooge is looking for something that every human being is looking for. He's looking for hope. He wants to know, is the future determined to be a certain way or can the future be a different way? Is the future changeable? Is it pliable? Is the future flexible or is it etched in stone? And the way you answer that question, the way people answer that question, you know what that depends on? It depends on your overarching world view. See, if you are what we would call by today's standards a naturalist, you think the Christmas story is absurd. Guiding stars, singing angels, virgin births, <laughs> and that just doesn't fit into your naturalistic paradigm. Now, if that's your worldview this morning, then I'm going to tell you what, that has some consequences. Because when you get asked the question, is the future fixed or can the future be fixed, you would say as a naturalist, absolutely not can the future be fixed. The future is fixed. That the future is simply the inevitable outcome of the way things evolve in a cause and effect universe. In fact, as a naturalist, you would say, why do you even care about the future? Because you exist in a universe that could care less about you. You are just a cosmic accident. I'm here to tell you something, folks. I'm not a naturalist. I believe in guiding stars, and I believe in singing angels, and I believe in virgin births, and I believe that our creator is the greatest cause and the greatest effect. And he is the one who stepped into human history to give every single person the hope and possibility of a better future. Christmas is heaven declaring to the world, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your future can be fixed. So I love the story about a pediatric neurosurgeon from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And he's getting ready to operate a very delicate surgery on a little boy named Jackson. Jackson is hydrocephalic. He's got water on the brain. He's also developed a, a cyst in his brain. And this doctor's going to go in there to relieve a lot of that. But right before the surgery, little Jackson takes his teddy bear and holds it up to the doctor. And his teddy bear's got a big old rip underneath his arm. And little Jackson says, Doctor, while you're in there fixing me, can you fix my teddy bear? I mean, what's a doctor supposed to say to that, right? So after he's done performing this very delicate surgery on Jackson, before the nurses leave the operating room, he gets that little bear up on the table, and he starts to do it stitch by stitch underneath the arm. And it's a powerful message to young Jackson when he wakes up. That because his bear can be fixed, that must mean that I can be fixed too. And folks, that's the message of Christmas. That because Jesus came, a new future can come. And here's what I don't understand. I don't understand those men and women who say, yeah, I believe the story. 
I believe in guiding stars, and I believe in singing angels, and I believe in virgin births. And they say they believe it, but then they live like it's a myth. And they step into the future thinking it can get no better than today. i got a question for you. How many of you are buying gift cards for somebody for Christmas this year? All right. Do you know why retailers love the fact that you're buying gift cards? Yeah, you know why, don't you? Because by current estimates right now, there is over $41 billion worth of unused, unredeemed gift cards. $41 billion. And it makes you ask yourself, why would somebody not redeem that? Why would somebody not use it? I don't believe in that. I'll prove it. You get me a gift card, I will use that sucker, okay? <laughs> Test me in this, says Solomon. You do your part, I will do my part. And I say that for one reason. Why would anybody say, I believe that God has given us the gift of a new and better future through the person of Jesus Christ, and then they don't want to redeem it or step into that. See, redemption is more than just being released from the guilt of my past. Redemption is being released to be who we were created to be in the future that God has created for us. Jesus was born so you and I could be born again. Isn't that what we sing? We sing, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them what? Second birth. Here's how Paul even said it better. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen? Jesus isn't just interested in forgiving the old you. He's interested in creating a new you. And this is what makes the story of Scrooge so inspiring. He experiences redemption, which was Dickens' plan. Dickens could have ended the story like this. Scrooge died a miserable man. Nobody remembered him. The end. How many of you want to buy tickets to a play that has that kind of ending? No, we wouldn't. That story doesn't sell. Because that story has no hope. We want to go watch. We want to pay for. We want to see. We want to be inspired by stories of hope. So let's see how it does end. Scrooge finds himself back in his room after this encounter with the ghost of Christmas future. And he's repenting for who he was. And he's begging for an opportunity to create a new future for himself. He falls asleep, he wakes up in his room to a new day, and he's touching himself to make sure he's real and that life is real, and he realizes he's got a second lease on life. He opens up the windows and shouts out, what day is it? And he's told it's Christmas Day. And he's determined that on Christmas Day, that is going to be the start of his journey to fulfill his pledge to be the man he knows now that he can be. 
Here's what he says. I'm not the man that I was, and I will not be the man I must have been. First thing he does, goes down the street, finds the largest turkey, and has it shipped to the home of his poor employee, Bob Cratchit, because he knows what a jerk he's been to Bob. Second thing he does, he encounters those men on the street who previously came to his office wanting to give him, wanting him to give a charitable donation to alleviate the poor and the needy. And he scoffed at them when they came. Now he finds them and he gives to them joyfully and enthusiastically a large charitable donation. And then he goes to his nephew's Christmas party. The Christmas party that he was invited to, but he said bah humbug to. And now he goes to this party and he's smiling and he's engaging and he's embracing people. And he determines from that point on, from here on out. I'm going to live my life on the basis of love and on the basis of community with others. And at the very end of the book, here's what we read. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all and infinitely more. And to tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. Do you see what Dickens has done? He said to his whole nation, let's be like Scrooge. Let's not accept that the way things are are the way things have to be. Let's build a better future for our nation. Because the best stories are redemption stories. And God wants you to be part of his redemptive story. And here's what I know. I know that I'm talking to some man, some woman, some teenager this morning, and here's where you're at in life. You are about ready to give up all hope in God. But here's what you need to hear this morning. God is not ready, nor will he ever be ready, to stop giving up hope for you. He wants you to be part of his redemptive plan. This is God's world, folks. And he will have things the way that he wants them to be. And on that glorious day when Jesus Christ himself tears through the sky, it will not be the end of the world it will be the beginning of the world the way God created it to be in the first place. And the prophets throughout time have anticipated this day and what it will look like and what will be done and this bright future that lay ahead for the people of God. And here's one of the ways they say it. This is from the prophet Isaiah. Listen to these words of hope. Isaiah says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. What's this shroud? What's this sheet that envelops all of humanity? Here it is. He will swallow up death forever. 
The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Amen? That's the future that lay a hold for the people of God. I'll tell you what, folks. Christmas, that baby in a manger, is God's promise to humanity that he is going to fix this broken world. And there's symbols of brokenness all around us. We see it everywhere. We see it as simply normal, but I, I assure you, it's abnormal. We see the signs of, of brokenness in, in mental hospitals and rehabilitation centers and and prisons, divorce courts, and homeless shelters. I assure you that is not normal. Let me tell you what is normal, okay, in God's eyes. Normal is no sickness. Normal is no crime. Normal is no hospitals, no doctors. Normal is no lawyers, because there's no fighting and there's no people hating and wanting to kill one another. Normal is no tears, because normal is no cemeteries, because normal in God's eyes is no death. And there's coming a day, Scripture says, when normalcy will be restored. Listen to what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 21. The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, this means you, this means me, this is creation in general, has been groaning. We've been crying out for a better future as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present Time. We want release, we want deliverance, we want redemption. We want to be with our God as we were created to be. And this is why, folks, it's so important that we worship regularly with the people of God. Because in this world that you live in and that I live in, we hear this drumbeat over and over and over and over that says your life is all about how much wealth you can amass and how much power you can gain. But when we gather together, we counter that message with some bread and some wine, with the reading of scripture, through the hearing of sermons, through the singing of worship songs, and all these things point to a bigger and better story than our world has. And I think Christmas songs do it in some of the best ways. Listen to these lyrics. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. 
A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. It's on the horizon. That's what Christmas does, folks. It gives birth to a better future. You know, it was four years ago, this month, in San Bernardino, in the county health department. Some volunteers had gathered for training, and there was a Christmas party that was going along, and all of a sudden, two men dressed in black entered into that facility and started spraying bullets, and another evil shooting took place. Denise Peraza was there, and so was Shannon Johnson. Denise survived. Shannon did not. Because when the bullets started flying, Shannon grabbed Denise and took her down with him to the floor behind a chair. And the bullets that she should have been penetrated with penetrated him. Do you know what his final words were to her before he breathed his last breath? I got you. I got you. And I hope that's what you can hear Jesus say to you today as we take the emblems of his death blood that should have been our blood that was shed a death that should have been our death to die flesh that was torn that should have been our flesh and Jesus our savior who creates a better future if we let him says to all of us I got you do you have that hope of a better future today does your life feel like you're running on a treadmill? Do you feel like you're living your life by the mantra of the world today around us? That you set your, your heart and your life on a path that just feels so empty inside of you? Have you tasted the redemption of Jesus Christ? He wants to give you a new and better future. If you don't know Christ today, I would encourage you that as we get ready to sing our songs here in just a few moments after we take of the Lord's Supper, to come join us in the back porch. We've already got one baptism scheduled for today. We would love for it to be yours as well as you take hold of Jesus as your Savior, your Redeemer, your future creator. Won't you join me with me in a word of prayer right now if you would?